Hello and welcome back to Blazers for Goalposts. As always, I'm joined by my co-host Kaitel, as well as a couple of guests. We're delighted to welcome Barney Crockford and Bradley Rains to the show today. Barney is Managing Director at Coda Independent Sports, whilst Bradley is Head of Women's Football, a roster that includes the likes of Hannah Hampton, Leanne Robe, Grace Fisk and Katie Wilkinson. For regular listeners of the show, you might remember that we interviewed Barney and Bradley's colleague, Luca Hodges-Ramon, a few weeks back. So we're clearly in Coda's good books at present. Guys, when are you going to sign up Blazers for Goalposts to be your first <laughs> podcast client? In, in-house podcast client. Brad, I'll leave that one to you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my, one of my roles at, um, at Coda is to look after the branding, so hopefully... Uh, Hopefully, yeah. If you stay in the good books, maybe it's something we can talk about. <laughs> well, that's um, that's definitely a good answer. And yeah, how are you guys doing? How, how's things been? I've been good. Uh, football's sort of been surprisingly busy. I'm not sure whether that's a good or a bad thing, but it definitely seems to be an industry that refuses to stop, even even in the current climate. And obviously, um, for us at Coda, there's a we're partnered with the music agency, so we've sort of seen both sides to it. Music's taken a, a heavy battering. There's not, there's not been any live shows recently, or or in the not so distant future. But football hasn't stopped. So for people like myself and Brad and Luca, we've we've been very fortunate that we've still been very busy, and um, everyone's in good health our side. And yeah, we can't really complain. Fantastic. Yeah. Of course, just to obviously echo and, and add on to what Barney said. I mean, it's it's very much been reactive to the situation. Obviously, at the very top of the Premier League, we've got Project Restart, but then, you know, filtering through and specifically with the women's, it's been, you know, addendums to contracts to, you know, like it has been in the men's to, to extend their time until the end of what the season was last year. And yeah, so it's obviously kept us on our toes, um, having to sort of, react in different ways to what uh, usually an end of season is, but kept us busy, which isn't a bad thing. How have you guys been? Yeah, we've been very well, um, keeping ourselves busy. Started this podcast at the start of lockdown, so that's sort of something that's here to stay now. We're definitely having, I think, a lot of our roster probably seeing the success of, of Peter Crouch in the podcast Well, We definitely get footballers more than than we used to asking us about possible podcast opportunities and running their own podcasts and we do encourage as an agency our players to try new things I think stereotypically football agents probably just do do your football contract and you might not hear from them again I, I think us with a bit more of a 360 and modern approach we're very open to if our players want to get involved in writing a for book deals or launching their own podcast or clothing line, whatever that might be. I think it's, it's been quite old-fashioned that footballers get shot down for those type of things. But I, th- I think it's great. I think they should be encouraged to do more things like this. Yeah, definitely. We were speaking to Luca about sort of the holistic side of the, the talent management being the brand beyond just the contracts and, and the, the football side of it. And um, yeah, like you mentioned, you don't have to look further than Peter Crouch interviewing Prince William and just see how the platform that he had as a footballer was able to give him that opportunity. So we've seen some of the guys who you have on your books. Maybe, maybe there's like a Jeff Cameron podcast in the pipeline. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff would, you would, you would struggle to get him off once you get him off. Oh yeah. <laughs> he, would, he would be brilliant. 
no, I could talk to Jeff all day. I think Nate, you're right. He's definitely the sort of player who would love to do something like this. Well, if you need some work experience, Joe and I are happy to take him. <laughs> I, I will definitely, definitely hook you up with Jeff. Not a problem. He's great. <laughs> well, it's really good to meet both of you. And um, cheers again for joining us. I, I'm curious to know, and it'll be interesting to hear how similar or different your two answers are. But Barney and Bradley, how does the reality of life as an agent compared to the expectation that you had going into the profession in the first place? Brad, you start, I'll follow. I mean, before I sort of bit the bullet and, and jumped into the industry, I kind of, uh, I had quite a few friends who were sort of doing this sort of a similar thing and um, could sort of judge things from their experiences. So it wasn't so much as jumping into the unknown as to sort of knowing what I could expect if I was to take it on full time. I mean, there's a lot more unless you're actually within it's kind of like an unspoken thing unless unless you're actually within the industry you don't really know kind of the day-to-day -day and all the little things that you have to really do I mean whether that's uh you know chasing sponsorships and, and and putting players out there as a brand as we've sort of discussed whether it's you know going and ringing up and seeing how training was looking after injuries and rehab programs is no two days really are ever the same um, unless you're sort of right within the middle of a season. But the more players you have, the more sort of strings to your bow as such and the more you kind of have to take on day to day. So, um, yeah, there's definitely a lot more to it than you would sort of think from the outset. I don't know what Barney thinks. No, I, I sort of echoing what Brad said. I, I agree. <clears throat> I think um, everyone when they're young, you boys especially, you, you will want to be involved in football in some capacity and... And I think from the outside, it always looks like being an agent is probably is probably easy work, but in reality, it's the, it's the complete opposite. And again, I'm not complaining because we love what we do, but I think a lot of people just think you, you pick up the phone, you do the deal and that's done. But there's a lot of time spent in networking, researching what players we want to pitch or not pitch, going to games, academy games in the morning, followed by first team games in the afternoon, a lot of time spent with families of, of parents, introducing the players to lawyers, accountants, helping them with housing, financial advice. It's, I think the word agent might be a bit outdated. Sort of how we look at it is it's a bit more of a management team. So in music, you have your music manager and in football, you have your football agent. But for us, I think as a company and individuals, so the agents within the company, myself, Brad, Luca, Bert Laurent, Dan Fletcher, there's, there's some brilliant agents, but I would definitely say I would categorise them more as, as football managers. I, obviously not tactically, but I mean, in terms of actually managing a player, it, it's a 24-hour job, really. Yeah, clearly it's not a nine-to-five type thing where you, you're, like, you're basically on call. So I would imagine you guys, yeah, are quite, quite flexible. Yeah, week, weekends are... I think a lot of people probably see, oh, you're at a game at a weekend. So, so that's not work because you're at a game, but um, it, it couldn't be more opposite, really. Yeah, and dependent on the game as well, you're doing a lot more than just watching the game, whether you're going there to network, as Barnes said, with club personnel, whether you're meeting a player's family there, you know, watching a game with a mum, dad, brother or cousin. It's a lot more than just going, sitting and watching a game of football for 90 minutes and then going home. It's... Uh, that's kind of like when the job becomes a bit more live action, I, I, I would say. I would hope that 
you're never at like a game that you're super, super either supporting the team or like invested in. And meanwhile, you like have this pressure upon yourself to like network and also be paying attention to the action on the pitch. That's kind of gone for me. I don't know about you, Brad, but obviously before I worked in football from a business perspective that I would probably care. I'm an Arsenal fan, but I would say my passion, maybe I'm just not a very good fan, but my, my passion for that side of it has gone. I'd much rather watch now matches where we have clients involved and but that feeling when your client wins the league or or gets promotion that that's an amazing feeling but for me I would say my my love for football probably isn't as high as it once was maybe that's just me sounding a bit miserable about it but I don't know if you think the same Brad no I'm I'm exactly the same I actually said this the other day to uh to a, a family of a player that I was talking to and it was you know, I'm a unlike you guys. I support the better team of North London. <laughs> See that that shirt, so right? Wild. Around. So yeah. wild, I love it. <laughs> yeah. And as I um, I was just say, I said to them, you know, as as a Spurs fan, if I had a, ever had a player at Arsenal who was playing against Spurs, would it be one of them where I would want them to score the winning goal? And you know what? Probably yes, because you've got you still got an invested interest when you're a fan, like you've got when you're involved with the game. But it's a different type of interest and a different type of sort of want in terms of outcome and like Barnes said you know I would much rather watch a, a league one game where we've got clients for example than a, a Premier League game that doesn't mean anything other than I just support the team you know so yeah I, I agree with you there Barn. I think you're spot on yeah without having been in either of you guys shoes I can somewhat empathize yeah I, they interviewed Arteta after the, the FA Cup the other day and obviously he's won it as a player and a coach and they asked him which one he enjoyed more the experience of and he said hands down the coach side of it because you it's like a project that you're building and yes like, but um even me I've done some coaching with kids over here playing soccer and when my 10 year olds you know win five nil or whatever I'm going mental probably more mm -hmm. than it would be if I was watching Arsenal on the tv so I can kind of yeah maybe understand a bit what you guys are saying going back to what you guys do as agents aside from the clear financial gap between the men's and women's game what are the main differences about working as a football agent in women's and men's football? It's a good question. I think, Barn, why don't you start? Because I feel like you've had experiences on both, obviously, where we've signed players together in the women's game, but you've obviously worked in the men's for, for longer than I have. Do you think, I'm going to be careful with my wording, do you think in general, the, I think the women's players are, are probably normally a, a bit more appreciative I th are you talking about from an agency point of view when we're when we're pitching to sign these players the difference that I might find I think that obviously the men's game there's there's so there's such a big financial reward in it that there's there's hundreds of agents and most male players we sign have been pitched at if you if you're pitching to a player worth signing he's probably had 30, 40 agents call him already. So I think from their point of view, it's your your pitch has to be a bit more aggressive. You have to, uh, they sort of heard it all before. I think a lot of the male side would say, I think in the female side, it's sort of the agency world is just starting to bubble a little bit where there'll be, if there'll still be some female players who, in, well, in my opinion, they all should, but they who don't currently have representation who, probably haven't sat down with hundreds of agents and but the more 
popular the women's side gets, the more financially stable it gets, which it definitely deserves to be, then I think the, it will become a bit more of a competitive world. But it's not there yet. So I think often when when we pitch a female player, there are sort of questions they're asking is, I've not really spoken to an agent. Can you kind of explain what an agent does? How does it work? So I think it's a bit more of an educational process at the start. And on the men's side, it's it's for a better word, it's it's definitely more more ruthless. And as I said, that they've heard a lot of it before. So the women's game it is catching up in an agency world. They've they've not been that um open to it so far. Yeah, plus as well I'd say from a a branding point of view and a, and the commercial side, I think obviously where the game is growing now as opposed to you know football being an established sport i think it's there's a lot more to do in terms of branding and sponsorship and things like that and i think there's a lot more uh, sort of education in, in that sense as well um and i think where obviously you've got a lot of buzz that surrounds a, an england tournament um you know where there's a lot of a lot of uh, good stuff to come off the back of it, especially when England are hosting a tournament in two years' time. I think there's a lot there where you know you can work with the player and on a lot more things, um, just as opposed to a football contract, which is a lot more sort of what you see from agents in the men's side of things. They're think- a bit more open to doing more, aren't they? In general, I, I, our, our female, I'm biased, but I think our female Ross is brilliant. I think some of them, some of the players are are amazing. But yeah, touching what Brad said there. They, I think they have to be a bit more creative because they, they, it's just a fact at the moment. They don't earn what the male, male players earn. So they, they need to be a bit more creative about what they want to do outside of football that's football related, what they want to do when they retire. You, it's great for them to see people like Alex Scott doing so well. They need more role models like that to sort of show the, the next generation of, of female players that there's there's other things you can do when you retire and stay in the football game. And and now we're doing some really exciting projects with some of our our female Rosslanders, especially with the build-up for next year with the Euros being here. There's there's going to be a lot of opportunities. And, and yeah, we're happy where our roster sits in the female game at the moment. Nice. Well, I mean, yeah, like you said, it sounds like it's a very exciting time to be in the kind of women's football world as an agent, given that actually not all the players do have agents at the moment and it is a bit more of an educational piece. So in some ways there's more opportunity for you guys kind of in that area. But I just want to keep talking actually about some of your clients within your women's division. And the first player I want to speak about is Hannah Hampton, um, the goalkeeper at Birmingham City. So Hannah has clearly had a very promising start to her career and she was recently called up to the Lionesses squad as well. However, what I was interested in is what is it like working with a goalkeeper compared to someone who plays outfield? And is it more challenging from a sort of marketability perspective when you kind of think, looking at the men's game anyway, that whilst there are very famous goalkeepers, it tends to be the outfield ones that maybe get some of the big commercial deals, etc. So what's it like working with Hannah Hampton? Yeah, I I get what you mean about the marketability and stuff, but I think that at the end of the day, if you've got a strong personality like Hannah has, and I think Barn Barn would agree mm. with me, is that you know she's always going to attract you know people who want to do stuff with her commercially. And I think you've you've arguably got to have a stronger personality sometimes when you're a goalkeeper to command the box as well as she does. 
I think it's, it's, it's an interesting one with Hannah, actually, because not many people know she actually started off as being a striker. Um, so she actually she, she grew up uh, in Spain and was at the uh, academy at Villarreal. She was actually a striker. Um, so she then, when she came back to England and, and came back to Stoke, she actually went back in, uh, in between the sticks. So it's a bit of a unique one with Hannah, actually, but I don't think it affects the marketability at all. And I think you just kind of have to adapt at how you look at things. I mean, she's going to be training to, uh, and doing different things to a majority of the squad she's with. You know, and I think it's actually interesting with keepers is that it's a lot more stats driven and it's a lot more, you know, shot save, shot save within the six yard box, uh, you know, successful passes, distribution, etc. And uh, there's a lot more that you can do in terms of comparison in, uh, with goalkeepers. But other than that, there's not much difference. I mean, it's, it's all holistic. It's all bits of pastoral care. It's making sure she's OK after training. Um, injuries, etc. It's it's all very very similar. I think you have to be incredibly mentally tough to be a goalkeeper, probably more than any other position. Like if it, you you play or you don't, there's no you're not coming on for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, to ease yourself into the game. You're either number one or you're not. So Hannah definitely has that. I think also Hannah's a sort of person. She would have been successful in in anything she decided to do. You, you pick that up in five minutes of meeting her and, and you need that attitude as a goalkeeper. But touching on what you said, Joe, about commercially, it's it's definitely, they have to work even harder to get sort of your Air Brands, the Elite Puma, Adidas or Nike. I spoke to some of the guys at those brands before and they said, well, for them, when they're sponsoring young, young goalkeepers, well, they're still wearing the same boots as, as a striker. So, if they're sponsoring a, a Suarez or a Messi or whatever it might be, the goalkeeper, even if they're a goalkeeper, they still want to wear the same boots as them. So they're still more likely to put the budget to to outfield players. But that's that doesn't just limit goalkeepers. It's it's far easier to secure a deal as a striker or as a mid, as a attacking orientated player than it is defender or goalkeeper. But I definitely definitely think being a goalkeeper's from an agency point of view, you have to be careful which goalkeepers you sign, and and uh, the goalkeeper, the young goalkeepers we do on on the male side. I've got one at QPR called Tom Middlehurst, and he's superb. And again, he's mentally extremely tough, and and so is Hannah. But you, you need that big time because, yeah, as I said, you're fighting for one position, and that's the only position on the pitch there is. In terms of the women's game, maybe more so than the men's game because it is a smaller concentration to pick from. But you look at like Hope Solo at the US as a as a goalkeeper who's one of probably the bigger personalities within the entire within yeah. the entire sport. And so maybe there is like a little niche that Hannah can carve out for herself. Although I think that some of uh, Hope's publicity hasn't always been the best, so wouldn't <laughs> that that type of behavior. But <laughs> moving on from from Hannah to another one of your clients, for instance, and. How does it compare potentially managing the career of a client who in some senses is as much an influencer as they are an athlete? For instance, Paige Almondars, are there different ambitions that come with that territory? Um, I think so to a degree, but then again, first and foremost, if, if you spoke to Paige as, as we do regularly, she sees, she sees herself as a footballer first and foremost. Um, Paige is a really, really exciting uh, wing back, um, hopefully dependent on you know if we can if if it can be sorted out, she'll be playing in a she'll be playing her football in England very very soon. And I think she would always. I mean, if you have a look at Paige's content, 
I mean, granted, it's going out to a lot more people than your average person, but it's all football related and she's football mad, um, football and fitness mad as such. You know, she wants to be the best she can be. And, you know, all it does really is, you know, as, as followers go up, brand interest goes up and, and maybe she can do a few things, you know, quicker than other people could that don't have that, that following necessarily, um, you know, and it opens a couple more doors. And it's, it's like anything really that, the bigger you are as a quote unquote influencer, um, you know, the more appeal you'll have to, to reach more people with certain things. But I would say that she wouldn't ever want to class herself as an influencer because she's so driven with her football. And I think Barn would agree with me. It's just, yeah, we're, you're, we're probably a bit guilty with Paige because she has so many followers, such a big following on social media and, and you see that sort of side to her a lot of people don't see how hard Paige works. I, I think first and foremost, as an athlete, she's insane. And um, uh, we signed her because of, of reports we got and footage we watched from her at college in America. And she, we're in the process of sorting a visa for her. And she, she'll definitely play in the, in the top division over here because she, she's first and foremost an amazing footballer. She's just smart that she knows how to to play the game and market herself and that's just going to get her more opportunities throughout her career but she's also intelligent enough to know that that won't exist unless she does well at football so I think again sort of in the code of pitch when we're pitching talent whether that be male or female we always say yes we have a lot of bells and whistles and we can probably take you to a different level commercially compared to most other talent agencies but that falls down if you're not delivering it on the pitch it doesn't matter how good you are so I think um, the example everyone talks about is David Beckham and obviously he became a bigger brand in football history probably than anyone else but he was still winning Champions Leagues for Man United and playing for AC Milan Real Madrid you name it so I think and again we're probably a bit guilty with people like David Beckham because he's done so well marketing himself and I'm not comparing Paige to David Beckham by any means on that level yet touch wood but David Beckham, everyone speaks about how hard he worked as a footballer, first and foremost. And, and we encourage that with all of our athletes. Certainly sounds like she's got a real exciting future within the game of women's football. And we'll certainly be keeping an eye out for Paige. Um, but I think earlier, Brad, you mentioned kind of how pastoral care is quite an important part of being a football agent. So what I was kind of interested in was... What is your role when a client suffers a setback on the pitch? So, for instance, Leanne Rowe got relegated with Liverpool this year. How do you kind of, as an agent, uh, help your client when something like that happens? But also, perhaps if there's something more kind of personal or off the field, again, what is your role as an agent when a player is sort of suffering in some way? Well, I just think it's... it's basic human elements of relationships really isn't it I mean you're always going to be another set of ears and you're always going to be um another sort of advice piece really I mean uh granted that we have a little bit more experience in terms of things that happen on the pitch than than your your average you know friend or, or something like that and you know when obviously Liverpool did suffer that relegation whether you know you'd say it was fair or unfair the thing is, it's, it's got to happen and you've got to be reactive to that situation. We obviously had a chat with Leanne about things going forward and, and what her ambitions were and, uh, you know, 
her status at the club is obviously she's held in very, very high regard. She, she's one of the most reliable players at that football club. I think she played, barring one game last season, um, I think she played, she played or featured in every single, every single match. So they obviously wanted to keep Leanne, wanted to keep her on. And um, she always felt that her future was at Liverpool. However, it's just disappointing. It's just one of those things where you've got to talk it out and look at the bigger picture because Leanne's got years to go with with her career and you know if, if everyone sort of dug their heels in after one setback in a, in a career you wouldn't have many footballers left so um it's just one of those things and you've got a view long term that yeah they might they've got a dogfight to get out of the championship next year um, and back into the WSL but they can also have a very successful cut run they've got probably one they've probably got the one of the best squads in the championship next year opportunity to win some silverware opportunity to you know rebuild and come back stronger the following year after so you know it's obviously going to hurt for a couple of days afterwards but um i think it's just taking a longer term view if you took a short term view in football with the time then you your growth in terms of career would be stunted so uh yeah it's just uh helping to manage that from a someone who knows the game and as, as such because obviously it's like anything I mean if you got fired from your job or, or you had a setback in, in your careers you know you're going to talk to friends about it but you, if you talk to someone in that industry hopefully they can be a bit more helpful in terms of guidance. What about the more kind of off the pitch incidents I mean you just have to look at the men's FA Cup final on the weekend and now sort of mental health within sport is being discussed a lot more is that um is that something you and your clients would be comfortable to discuss with one another? Um, it wouldn't necessarily have to be that, but kind of does that relationship go beyond football in that way from your kind of services to them? No, I would say 100%. I mean, obviously, it's dependent on the relationship that you've got with a player. I mean, there's, there's some players that we look after where maybe we'll talk every, every week or so about, you know, how's training going, any updates, etc. Whereas there's some players where, you know, we'll be on the phone for an hour a day or, or, or texting throughout, throughout the day, throughout the week. And it's a little bit more personal. It's, it's really dependent on what the player um, sort of not expects, but almost wants out of the relationship, whether it's purely professional or, you know, I'd like to think that quite a, a, an overwhelming majority of players that we've signed, especially on the women's, I would consider friends and I, you know, would help with things off the pitch and just be another pair of ears, football or not. So, um, you know, off the pitch, if, if, if people want to divulge and, and, you know, need some advice with, with other things, whether that be pastoral, whether that be, you know, helping out with housing and things like that, or, you know, where to go on a night out in Liverpool, I'm, I'm all ears and I'll just try and help as much as I can. Why do they go to you for that question? <laughs> what, housing? <laughs> no, I mean, night out in Liverpool. <laughs> I think as well that, yeah, Brad said everyone's different, but I'd like to think that every player on our roster would feel comfortable to talk to us about anything, even if they wanted us to introduce them to someone else that they might feel more comfortable speaking to. David Wheeler, he's a good friend with Luca, and he studied psychology at uni, and we put Dave in the room with some of our players to to give advice on his journey, and I think that's a, a career path that Dave wants to go into when he retires, so we've sort of helped speak to him about that and he's been brilliant with some of our young lads and we what we try and do within the, the Coda roster is introduce some of our scholars and first year pros to 
are sort of older and more experienced players because again they might want to speak to them about things they're not comfortable talking to myself or Brad about so they're always welcome and we're always willing to speak to our players about anything but as I said they sometimes might want to speak to us about things they don't want to speak to their parents about they sometimes might want to speak to other people that they don't want to speak to us about and if I can help make that introduction or, or get them in front of the right person because uh, I know you touched on the, the the mental health side of the game I think it's it's brilliant that that that's being spoken about more because the pressure on these boys and girls young teenagers young adults to, in the game is is massive and I don't think people really appreciate or or respect that so I think the more we can speak about mental health and especially with with them speaking to professionals it's going to be good for them they they need it it's definitely been neglected for too long in football no it certainly has and it sounds like you've got um, a good positive relationship with all your clients speaking of mentorship and alternative or whatever career path it ends up being if you had a young specifically i suppose woman client who was or male i guess struggling to break into first team professional football would you encourage that that young player, for instance, to take an education in the States potentially and maybe continue to be playing at a good level of college soccer over there where they can still come out the other side and play football, but then also maybe have some other options too, rather than, you know, straight off the bat, try to potentially risk everything on a, on a successful pro career. Um, just my personal opinion, I'm not necessarily correct, but a million percent, I, I would encourage our players to stay as educated as as possible for as long as possible and I would I don't think as an agent we have the the right to suggest that they they risk missing out on that that's a we spoke about mental health being neglected one thing that's definitely definitely neglected in the football world is 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 education that's sort of the thing that goes gets put in the bin very quickly if you have any chance of making it but if players want to go down that route of of going out to college to to study as well as playing, then I would I would encourage it. And of course, from an agency's point of view, they that might take them a bit longer to make to make it in football. But again, I don't feel it's our right to to not encourage that. I think it's superb when when they do it. Will there come a time that these women don't have to, or men don't have to, you know, literally cross the pond? Is there a level of um, uni? football in England for women that we could ever expect to occur to the point where these women can, you know, have an education, play at a decent level? Just not the culture, is it, Brad? I think the, the difference between America and the UK, is the, the academy system here is so advanced and there's so much money in, in the youth system at these elite clubs that that world in university just doesn't exist. I, I think all of us here, we all, we all went to different universities, but sport was 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 nothing at my university whereas I guess in America it, it's sort of the pinnacle you're a, a student athlete that that culture is just not just not a thing here and I, I don't see that changing these clubs are signing boys as young as six I don't think that a university is going to be able to compete and I I just don't think there's enough focus on it it'd be great if there was a better university system here where where the, the football standard was high enough that that could be a route into the game. I know we've obviously we've mentioned him loads, but Wheeler's, how rare an example is that? He studied at Brunel University and now he's playing championship football. But 
that's very, very, very rare. It's so rare that you sort of remember the one or two that have done it. I just, I don't see it happening here anytime soon. Do you, Brad? No, and I think obviously on completely flip that on its head from what you said, where there's so much money in the academy system here, there's so much money in the, the student-athlete system and the, the NCAA out there. It'd be very, very hard to reverse both of those. Um, and I just think, I mean, you say about would you encourage it? I have actively encouraged it before, um, especially on the women's side where they get such an experience out there, you know, playing for three to four years. However, you know, dependent on the degree at such a high level, um, you know, training as if they would at a professional club here. I just think it, it's invaluable, especially where you get, for example, the, the girls coming through the academies now where they might not necessarily get pushed into the first team to go out there and get four years at such a high level and get another, another sort of crack at the whip as such to come back here and potentially get first team football. You've seen it, um, you know, numerous times. It's definitely another route for, you know, a girl who's not making a knock on the door yet to go out there and play at such a high level, play against, you know other players who are at that level too because obviously there's still a disparity at the academy academy level with the girls um to come back here and then sort of like i say have another chance is uh is fantastic and i've actively i've actively encouraged girls to do it obviously it doesn't make business sense to do that you'd rather sign them keep them here and and see see what they can do but you know if, if in the long run another four years development could be their sort of golden ticket then 100%. And I think it's obviously not only just football-wise in in terms of development, but character development out there as well. You know, to to go out there for four years, you know, no friends out there, no family out there, takes a strong character and, you know, it's only going to get better from there. Yeah, I mean, I was lucky enough to go to a D1 college out here and um, I was, you know, walking through campus next to guys who ended up in the NFL, the yeah. MLB, the NBA, um, probably the MLS, and probably for these the girls as well. They have a great, great soccer program, and so I wouldn't be surprised if some of the girls who I had classes with end up playing for the USA women's team. And um, yeah, you just don't see that in England. It would be like walking around campus, and like you look to your left, and there's Jude Bellingham, and you look to your right, and there's like Jaden Sancho. Yeah. It's yeah. just not going to happen. But no. um, quite a surreal experience especially with the NBA players who are like seven feet tall um, just walking to class with you that's quite a cool one to many people their concept of agents exclusively revolves around transfers and to be fair as football fans it is probably the most exciting involvement that agents typically have in the game and so on that note and as the transfer window has recently opened, we've put together, Joe and I, a potential starting 11 of players who have already had moves confirmed or are heavily rumoured to be on the move this summer. So, Barney and Bradley, we're looking for your opinions on which player per position is more likely to come in to the new club and do a potential job. I'm going to kick it off with the goalie. And so, two goalkeepers that have been heavily rumoured to be on the move this summer, possibly even swapping places, are... Kepa at Chelsea and Jan Oblak at Atletico Madrid. I think it's very likely that Kepa will be on his way. Who knows about Oblak? But between the two of them, if they ended up moving, which do you think would show up at their new club and slot in better? Am I allowed to say I think they would both do well or is that a cop-out? No, you can, you can do that. Maybe then in that case, uh, Brad will be the deciding vote. But 
annoyingly, I think the same as Barn, purely because I, I think Jan Oblak's unbelievable. I've, I mean, just you watch him uh, for Atletico and just I'm, I'm real some of the saves he can pull off. But Kepa's already done it. In, if, if Kepa was to go back to Spain, Kepa's already done it in that league before. And he knows the style of playing. You know, it's the right tempo. I mean, although a shot is a shot, but I feel like he would slot back in really, really well. So I'm going to have to sit on the fence as well and be very boring on that one. I'll go for Oblak just. Yeah, I'd have Oblak all day long. Okay. There we Great. go. Jan Oblak. Great. Welcome, Jan Oblak, to the team. So now we move on um, to the right-back position. We've got a couple of options for you here as well. So firstly, we've got Ashraf Hakimi. Um, he's just signed for Inter Milan. He was on loan at Dortmund last year from Madrid. Um, by all accounts, a very exciting young wing-back. And then we've also got Max Ahrens, who has just been relegated with Norwich, but by all accounts has had a very impressive debut season in the Premier League. And there's obviously a lot of reports linking him with a move to Tottenham Hotspur. So out of those two guys, who's getting in your team? Hakimi. I do like Ahrens, but definitely, yeah. Conte's great with fullback, so if he rates you, I'm, I'm all in. That's true. He turned Victor Moses into a Premier League winning fullback, so... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Something like, oh, yeah, no, I'm going Hakimi. Brad, you're going yeah. Aaron, are you? Because you like Tottenham. No, not even. I, I mean, I'll be very, very controversial. I think there's better options for Tottenham than Aaron, so I'd go Hakimi. <laughs> I am. Um, I agree with you totally, Brad. As a fellow Tottenham fan, I mean, I've got nothing against Max, but I just think, like you said, there might, yeah, there might be a, a better right back out there. But you know, it's you know, it's good, still good to include him and you know, Ashraf Hakimi. You've got in at right back, so let's now move on to the centre backs. Um, we've got four um, for you to, cho to choose two from. Um, the first one actually was a signing last year, but will be making his debut for Arsenal this year. So that's William Saliba, um, a favourite of Keitel, no doubt. And then um, we've got Ben Godfrey, so another Norwich player who's done well and is being linked with a host of clubs all over Europe, actually. We've then got John Stones, who um, hasn't been having the best of times at City recently, but potentially could still do a job in the Premier League at another side. And then finally, this is one for the sort of football hipsters out there. We've got Gabriel Magales, um, a centre-back at Lille, who's again attracting a wealth of, um, well, a little wealth of suitors from all over Europe. So, Arsenal, isn't he? Is he being linked with Arsenal as well still? I think so, yeah. I think Arsenal and then... A few more, to be honest, as well. But yeah, out out of those four. Well, when you said centre backs, I thought you were going to I thought you were going to do the Nathan Ake one. I think you missed a trick there. Yeah, no, that you know we we have missed a trick there. That is that That's is true. Uh, right in front of our faces, and we. I know. <laughs> I was getting my I was getting my answer ready in my head, but you didn't say his name. Um, out of those two, I would go. I think Saliba, just because I think he's unfortunately for Arsenal is going to be a beast. Hmm. Who's the other three? Go on, give me the other three again, really quick. Yeah. Ben Godfrey, we had uh, Gabriel Magales and John Stones. You could, you could pop Nathan Ake in there if you'd like to, to be fair. Yeah. I know, I was going to say I wouldn't take Nathan Ake if you was going to oh. say him. Okay. I'm going Ben Godfrey. I think he's going to play for England one day. Saliba and Godfrey? Yeah, yeah. Saliba and Godfrey. All right. Yeah. Okay, so now just to finish off the um, defence in this team, we've got two left-back options both actually being linked quite heavily with Chelsea. So the first one's Ben Chilwell. And then we've got Sergio Reguilon as well, who is a Real Madrid player, but was on loan at Sevilla last year. 
I would I'm gonna go Ben because I've not watched Seville enough the comment. So that's not me ruling him out. I just <laughs> obviously I've watched a lot more of Ben and he's Ben Chilwell. He's obviously like you're not being linked for those price tags unless you're a very, very good footballer. So I'm going for Ben Chilwell. Ben Chilwell, okay. Brad, how about you? Yeah, very boring, but I'm gonna go the same and for the same reasons as well. Nice. Yeah, I can't say I've seen much of Radil on either, but you know, it sounds sounds he sort of sounds like he should be good, doesn't it? <laughs> We've got the back four and the keeper sorted, so I'm going to move on to the midfield now. And we're going to start with the first option for you guys to pick a centre midfielder. And these are going to be the slightly more defensive ones. So Pierre um, Emil Hoiberg. Besides him, though, the alternative is going to be Sandro Tonali, who looks set to join Inter Milan as far as we can tell. But there's a list of other suitors in Italy on the radar and... Um, he looks like he's going to be a brilliant player, despite being relegated, I think, to Brescia this year. So who would you guys pick out of those two? Didn't Pep say that Hoiberg's one of the most intelligent players he's ever coached, I read that? But he did, yeah. For that accolade alone, I'm going for Hoiberg. If, you, if, you, if Pep's shouting that about you and you look at the talent that he's coached and he said that about him at Bayern Munich, then, yeah, I think, Hoiberg, I think a move to someone like Tottenham for Hoiberg now is, is perfect. I, I'm going for him. I'm going to flip it on his head and go Tonali purely because I've seen him a couple of times for that Brescia team. And I mean, he stood out like a sore thumb just because of how good he was. So there's no surprise there's a link there. Yeah, we were chatting about Tonali with a massive AC Milan and Serie A fan a while ago. And he was kind of saying that he's the second coming of Pirlo, but arguably has like a more rounded game. So that doesn't sound bad. <laughs> All right, well, it sounds like that was a bit of a toss-up. But, um, Joe, do you want to have the decider on Tonali versus Hoiberg? Whilst um, Tonali does sound fantastic, I'm going to go with the guy that Spurs sign. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to go with um, Pierre-Emile Hoiberg. But, um, you know, that's no disrespect to Sandro there. Basically, Tonali's out of your out of your reach <laughs> and out of your price bracket, I understand. <laughs> well, sadly, that may well be true at the moment, but there, <laughs> there you go. Um, Unless um, Inter do end up signing him and then that Ndombele swap deal goes through. So maybe there'll just be a quick turnaround of yeah. Tonali to Inter to Spurs and Ndombele to, to Inter. You never know. Then attacking midfielder, and there's two here. Again, we've got Philippe Coutinho, whose career I wouldn't say necessarily has been on the rails the last few years, but people probably had higher expectations. And then the other one's going to be Kai Havertz, as if Chelsea haven't already splashed enough cash this summer. It sounds like they're going to be in for him too. Kai Havertz. I'm gonna go Coutinho just because whenever, whenever I hear the word Philip Coutinho, I just think of some of those goals he scored for Liverpool, and I think that's maybe me being a bit too reminiscent. But I do like Philip Coutinho. I think nostalgia is a, a very important part of football, so I, I don't, I don't mind that opinion whatsoever. Joe, though, I guess we'll throw it off to you again. Oh God, what, what a decision to make. I think. Um... I think I'm going to have to go with Kai Havertz just because from the few times I've seen him play, he's always looked brilliant. And look, don't get me wrong, I, if Coutinho tipped up at Spurs, I'd be delighted. But I'll, I'll give it to um, the guy who's perhaps the future of football in Kai Havertz. All right. Moving on now to the wingers. Uh, and on the right-hand side of midfield, uh, we can't ignore Jadon Sancho, who looks set to join Manchester United at some point, this transfer window. Otherwise... The alternative would be on probably the other end of the scale. This is going to be a free transfer. Nowhere near the fee that United will end up paying for Sancho. But Willian, whose contract has come to an end at Chelsea, 
So I guess I'll be interested to hear, Farron, what you have to say about, about that in particular. But yeah, Willian or Sancho? I, I, I honestly, I'm not just saying this to aggravate Chelsea fans. I think Willian's their best player. I think he's so criminally underrated. And with the FA Cup final, with, with him and Kante out, I was a hell of a lot more confident that we'd beat them. So for me, I would go... I'm going to contradict myself. Obviously, I have to go Sancho just because he's a generational talent. But I just wanted to get it out there on record how, how much I rate Willian. And I think that's an amazing deal for Arsenal. Very good player. I, I would have chosen Willian, so I'm gonna, we're going to go split decision again. But I just think, why they why Chelsea not give him... I know that it's an age thing, but why they wouldn't give him three years, I just don't understand. I've watched him so many times this season. I've just think he's been so good. So good. I also rate him very highly. And I think he's one of those guys who looks appears to take care of himself in a way that, you know, a 31, 32, 33-year-old Willian isn't the same as, you know, another player maybe at that age. And then also just the depth that he would bring to Arsenal on the wings would be, would be nice. And the experience compared to the youngsters like Martinelli and, and Nelson. But um, Joe, it's, it, it falls on you again. To, uh... God, I've been so involved. It's great. Um, I feel bad to not take Brad's choice again, but I'm going to have to go with um, Jadon Sancho. Um, obviously, as Barney said, he's a generational talent, but also Willian kind of mugged off Spurs and um, is going to sign for Arsenal. So I just can't have him in there. Fair enough. It's gotten personal at this point. It always is with Tottenham. I wouldn't have asked him. <laughs> yeah. um, for our, for that left-hand side, again, this is going to be kind of two players on the opposite end, or at the opposite stages of their career. But um, we've got Leroy Sane, who's just joined Bayern Munich after kind of like a longly protracted transfer saga. And uh, the alternative is Alexis Sanchez, who does appear to finally have found a way out of Old Trafford permanently and is probably going to sign for Inter Milan. They might even end up cancelling his contract, I've heard. Um, but he showed some signs last season of reinvigorating some of that Arsenal form from back in the day. Um, so Sanchez or Sane? Sane for me. Yeah, I'm going to go Sane as well. The danger, obviously, is being out for so long with such a, a big injury is, you know, is he the same player? But if he's a, you know, you'd like to think even if he's a three quarters of a Sane that we saw at City, then he's going to be fantastic, isn't he? Yeah, I think Sane and Nabry on the wings, um, sort of taking over from Robin and Ribery. Um, they haven't done too badly there, Bayern, to be fair to them. Joe, I reckon you're about to finish this up with the forwards, huh? I am indeed, Kai. So we've got four strikers, and then you've got to choose two. So we've got Victor Osimen, who's just signed for Napoli from Lille. We've got Raul Jimenez, who's been strongly linked with United and has obviously been brilliant for Wolves. We've got Chelsea's big new signing, Timo Werner. And then finally, a man that Keitel and Barney will have a lot of time for, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who's obviously potentially... He's not going anywhere. Why is he in, uh, why is he in the question? <laughs> well, well we, do, we don't know that yet, do we? Uh, I'm going for Jimenez. Again, I think very underrated. I think, I think as an out-and-out out nine... I think he's brilliant. He, I think he would fit for Man United, Arsenal, Juventus, any of the clubs he's been linked with. So I'm definitely going to go Jimenez for one. Uh, Brad, who are you going to go for whilst I think of my other one? I was going to go for Jimenez and Werner. Yeah, I'm actually I'm going to I'm going to end it on a good note and agree with you and 
time for everything. Brilliant. Well, that um, brings our team to an end. Kai, I don't know if you want to just reveal the, um, the final starting lineup. Yeah. So from back to front, we've got Jan Oblak in, in goal. Uh, right back of Ashraf Hakimi, centre back Saliba and Ben Godfrey, left back Ben Chilwell. In the midfield, the centre pairing is Pierre Emil Hoiberg and Kai Havertz. On the right is Sancho, on the left is Sane. And what did we end up with? Raul Jimenez and Timo Werner up top. Yeah. I reckon yeah. that team isn't bad. They'd probably challenge for European football at the very least, if not possibly be in like the top three, even maybe. They are quite young, so maybe that's, that's the one thing that, that they might have against them. That has essentially brought us to the end of the podcast for today. Barney and Bradley, it's been a pleasure having you guys. Really good meeting both of you. Do either of you have, personally, outside of CODA or within CODA, any, anything going on, any, any projects, anything that you'd like people to know about? Come on, Brad, get your, get your PR in. My PR in. Um, we no, we've. I mean, we've done quite a few, quite a few renewals on the women's side of things. Just looking forward to obviously quite a few of our players continuing their journeys with uh, with their current clubs. I think the standard of the league this year, where there's been quite a lot of investment from quite a lot of uh, quite a lot of teams, it's uh, going to be a really exciting one. And quite a few of our players are going to be well within the midst of that. So uh, it's going to be a very, very good year. Yeah, thank you, Joe and Kai. No, you're brilliant. And uh, I'll definitely be tuning into future podcasts on Blazers for goalposts for sure. Oh, thank you very much, Barney. Much That's appreciated. That soundbite of the day. We'll, just, we'll probably just save that and put it on the rest of the episodes that we do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems like you guys are going places. And yeah, it's been nice to not necessarily be along for the ride, but to get your thoughts and your opinions, considering that you are quite a, not alternative football agency, but as you mentioned, you're a bit more maybe holistic than some of the others. So brilliant. Keep an eye out for us on Twitter. We are at Blazers FG Pod, Instagram and Facebook at Blazers for Goalposts. Shoot us an email at Blazers for Goalposts at Hotmail.com. Until next time, goodbye, everyone. <laughs>